Welcome to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch, and this is a podcast of conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Bradley Chesham, the founder of Bundle of Rays. Bradley was a frontline nurse in a busy hospital setting in Australia and UK, and he also served in Afghanistan and Iraq as a battlefield nurse. Bundle of Rays are a company that's transforming healthcare education using immersive learning technologies and advancing the nursing profession through their unique teaching programs. They've won a bunch of awards recently and they're bringing virtual reality and augmented reality to the forefront of healthcare teaching. Hey Brad, how you doing? You're good, mate. I, I thought you read that out pretty well. That sounded, uh, <laughs> and- sounded pretty slick. Makes me sound kind of fancy, but I'm doing really well, mate, in this crazy, crazy world that we live in. I'm looking forward to a crazy interview. We've had a little bit of a chat beforehand and previously, and uh, yeah, I think we'll set a new bar after this conversation. Oh, great. Thanks. Uh, Let's just put a primer in there. And I dare you to talk about some of the topics that we're talking about off air before we started. Uh, (laughs) But anyway, let's, let's stay on point. Let's stay on point. Let's do it. All right, all right, all right. Look, let's let's now we've now we've captured people's attention. Tell us about yourself, Bradley. Who's Bradley and what do you do? Yeah, so look, I think it's really important in the world of innovation, startups, some of these industries that we're talking about, you know, AI, VR, blockchain, blah, blah, blah. I'm a nurse, so I work with patients. I'm on the floor. I've done that for around 15 years. I've done some study in Australia and the UK, done a master's uh, focused in intensive care. So I worked in some of the biggest departments in Europe, in London. As you said, I've been to a couple of military sort of conflict zones, most recently in Mosul, Iraq, with the whole ISIS fight and done some work in Africa. I've been up to the North Pole, blah, blah, blah. So I think as a summary to that sort of clinical stuff is that I really understand the problems on the floor. I'm not an academic that sits in an office trying to preach to people about what the theories are. And I understand the theories because I have done postgraduate studies, but it's more that I live the day-to-day problems. And I find that to be such a valuable thing going forward, having a startup that works in training and development, because not a lot of people do these days. It's quite interesting. Yeah. And so this startup in learning development, tell us a bit more about Bundle of Rates. So essentially, I lived in East London, like a lot of Aussies do. Uh, I drank a little, and some of that drinking was at an art gallery. My friend curates an art gallery. And essentially, we'd hang out at the gallery, drink with the, some of the artists, and they would use virtual reality, augmented reality, holograms, all that kind of stuff, quite uh, abstract art. And that captured my attention while I was sipping my champagne. I thought, hey, I might have a look at that. And it turns out that some of the applications are actually very handy for healthcare. So e- easy thing is an anatomy, right? If I'm teaching you about someone having a heart attack, just imagine that I can put you inside the heart and you can literally see the heart, hold on to it, and then pull that apart to see the disease. And your understanding then is quite powerful around the content. And that's essentially where the business started. I already taught nurses. So I worked at university. I I teach advanced life support and have done for a long time. So I just bought a couple of headsets and brought them into the classroom to see what people thought. And literally, it blew their mind. They were like, whoa, this is fun. This is exciting, which is a really careful thing in the industry because there is this wow factor that we have to get past. So from a performance perspective, it's always cool to have new technology, but what does it really mean in the long term? So that was sort of part of the industry that I found fascinating was, all right, let's, you know, initial engagement is interesting. Some of the research coming out is definitely positively validating this concept. So I started traveling around Australia. I won a couple of awards from the US. I talked to conferences in Europe and it was a bit of a thing, you know, it was kind of cool. Then you start to think about the e-learning industry, which is, you know, billion dollar industry across multiple sectors. 
virtual reality on the surface seems like the perfect solution. You put a headset on, someone else has got a headset on, you can deliver this e-learning. But the reality is nobody's using it. Like absolutely nobody in healthcare is currently delivering e-learning via VR. So what's all that about? Why not? What's the limiting factor? So I went about, this is pre-COVID, by the way. So I went about building an e-learning platform that could help leverage organizations into VR to understand how that can provide a benefit through engagement, motivation, generally just people enjoying their training. Because as a nurse on the floor, I know as a fact, nurses hate going to training. It's really hard, unless it's simulation, which is extremely expensive, trying to drag a nurse along to some kind of, you know, learning about how to use a pump or, you know, learning about some medication. Nurses are busy, we're tired, and it's really hard to incorporate that engagement into our training. And obviously, I'm not speaking for all nurses, but if there's a facility to increase the fun, excitement, but at the same time provide value and outcomes, then that's going to be a win in healthcare. On that point around no one's using VR in healthcare, particularly for training, even just trying to do training remotely or presentations remote, like pre-COVID, but even still during COVID, it's just not a technology-enabled kind of industry for these types of things. So was it difficult getting any kind of adoption or like, yes, there's that wow factor and people go, hey, that's kind of nifty and that's cool. Have you had any issues in trying to get some scale or some momentum around the adoption of it? This company, Bundle of Ray, my company, is me. It's been me since the beginning. So last week I delivered a lecture in Korea. I put a headset on. We had 30 Korean students log in to this virtual environment. It's like a universe that they can walk around. And during that lecture, I taught them about respiratory assessment. So within the environment, I gave them a stethoscope that was one story tall that they could have a look at. We talked about how to use a stethoscope. I incorporated a huge pair of lungs that they can interact with, pull it apart. And we talked about the different lobes of the lung. During the lecture, I integrated some PowerPoint presentations. I showed them a video. I played some audio sounds of what breath sounds sound like. And all the while, we're actually on the moon. And I created a conference center on the moon looking back at the Earth. So I did that from my back deck, and I sipped it a beer during the chat. And they were in a lecture theater in Korea. In terms of scaling it, it's so easy. And I don't understand why people aren't doing it, because the real reality is, is that It's a winner because Zoom fatigue is real and logging into video chat, it's becoming more and more challenging because you're just on the screen all the time. And the really great thing with the VR headset is that when you pop it on, you're not checking your phone. You're not going to pick up your phone for a phone call because you're focused on that 20 minute training session. And that's the only thing that you're looking at. And there's a lot of value in that. So from a scaling perspective, it's exciting because I've achieved everything thus far as one human. And I would sort of categorically say that I'm representing maybe a 0.7 human (laughs) because I've got two kids under two. So although I would have loved to say that that two years I've had my foot on the pedal the whole time, that would be an absolute lie. At the moment, I distribute education into Korea. I have an e-learning platform here in Australia, and I've just accepted my first seed funding from a high-value individual in India. So I'm currently working with some tertiary hospitals in Mumbai to set up some immersive training hubs across India and sort of the APAC region. If I can do all of that as a 0.7 human with two kids, a very angry wife um, on my back deck, I do feel that next year when we look to have some significant fundraising sort of in April, May, 
DMA, where we can, you know, essentially just fine tuning some of the IT infrastructure around our platform. But by April next year, we have around 10 to 12 world leading international VR partners, including hardware and software. And if we can raise a significant amount of money, our business model is tight, our product is tight, and all we need to do is just go boof and scale it. So super exciting. That's so cool. And it's, I love that response too, because it has been something I've heard before from an investor point of view is that VR sounds cool, but it's not scalable. And I think the thinking behind that is, well, someone's physically got to have a thing that they put on their head to be in the moment. And it's not like software that people can subscribe to anywhere in the world straight away. But the use case that you've just talked about is, I guess, completely contradictory to that point of view. You know, just to that point around hardware and for those that aren't totally across the use of VR, is it an expensive thing for someone on the other end, for those people who are doing the training session in Korea, for example, that you're talking about? Is it an expensive thing? Let's debunk two myths right now. The first myth is this cost, okay? Currently in healthcare, universities or at hospitals, they would undertake some simulation-based training where they have a mannequin and they have some trained staff who would be on eighty dollars to $100,000 a year. And then they have peripheral equipment. You know, they have oxygen, they have cannulas, they'll have bags of fluid, all this sort of clinical equipment, holes and things to simulate a clinical environment. Now, the fact that those dummies are a minimum sort of $40,000 up to $200,000, for some reason, nobody ever talks about that fact. <laughs> Whereas a VR headset is $500, it doesn't require any staff running that. So I don't understand when people say VR is expensive. I just think nobody really has a great understanding of the pedagogical application of VR in a classroom. And you have to talk about reality because in a classroom, if you have 30 people, everyone doesn't want to wear a headset. People are worried about infection control, which they don't need to be, but they are worried about it, which is absolutely reasonable in a global pandemic. People are worried about claustrophobia. People are worried about their makeup and their hair. And this is reasonable, rational thoughts. And the industry has absolutely incorporated these features because let's just say my Korean example where I delivered that lecture. So that application is available in VR, but students can watch the same experience on their phone or on a PC or an iPad. So you can have this multimodal experience where you've got some immersion and you've got some typical 2D type environment. So you can even plug the laptop into a HDMI and put it on a big screen and project it onto the wall. Part of our altruistic model around healthcare going forward with this investment from my behalf is that I want to sort of enable an ability to have effective altruism. So if you think about nursing in a developing nation like Africa, like how this is a perfect example of that discussion. Oh, that they're not going to be able to have VR. It's too expensive, blah, blah, blah. I just absolutely disagree with that because if you came to one of my classes, if you had a university that was, say, in Nairobi and they bought five headsets, that's 2,500 Australian dollars. That's not a huge amount of money for a university, even in a developing nation. Yeah. Now, they can project one of those headsets onto a large screen and 30 or 40 people could watch that headset during that session and they could rotate. Some people could be on an iPad and watching it through that. And then you can have this sort of workshop type environment within the classroom where you can have equitable education across geographical areas. So I think it's it's more exciting, this challenge about these, you know, the cost and the delivery, the scalability, because I absolutely disagree. I think it just comes down to strategy and a good understanding of the technology. 
I totally agree with you on all of that around the fact that there's always a response that someone will provide to a situation that usually comes from a place of not actually understanding the solution in the first place. So I think that's some really good learnings for a lot of people about wanting to learn a bit more about VR specifically and the use of healthcare because you speak to some great points there. Just back to that point around, like it was a small comment that you made around infection control and obviously COVID, it's challenging for everyone. What did you mean around infection control for the use of VR? Because that was going to be one of my questions too, is that like you say, some people might be concerned about putting on a headset because, you know, COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So COVID is a respiratory disease. So nose and mouth, breathing, droplets, aerosol, etc. And you put this piece of plastic on your eyeballs. So let's just stick with reality for a little while. <laughs> so your glasses that you're wearing there, if you have COVID, are you going to be worried about putting your glasses on and off? You know, like, what are you going to do with your glasses? You're going to wipe them down, right? And that's essentially all you're going to do. To be fair, some of the headsets do have a foam insert. That's different. A foam is a different environment for bacteria to settle. You probably do need to have plastic inserts rather than foam. And then the ergonomics might become a little bit different and people might say it's not as comfortable. But I think we just need to hover within reality and just understand that it's okay. You can purchase UV filters that have a 99.9% .9 kill rate for viruses and bacteria. They're very expensive. But if you work in an intensive care unit and you bring a piece of plastic into a bed space with a patient who actively has COVID, do you know what you're going to do? You're going to wipe it down. And if you can do that in a clinical setting, I don't see why you couldn't do that in a training room. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm loving, Brad? I'm loving a guy that's so cemented in reality for a guy that works so much in virtual reality. I'm not sure if you need that to be both, but that's just, <laughs> that's so cool. I think, yeah, I, you know, I, I my time is so ridiculously pulled left, right and center these days. And some of the conversations around the application of business I think you just have to get to the point and I, I don't try and challenge people. You know, I'm here to help support people and provide solutions. So it's not, it's not about that, but I just think in order to provide a solution, you really need to see what the problem is. So I mm. think that's, that's a really important part of what we do. I agree. And so thinking around the use of virtual reality more broadly in healthcare, you're really proving the point on the application of VR within healthcare, specifically in an education or training perspective. Is there more use of VR within healthcare that you can see that might be in the near future? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's go to my vision first and then we'll dial it back. Mm. My vision is in five years, probably less, you will have a library that's in a tertiary hospital, say RPA in Sydney, St. Vincent's in Melbourne or the Royal Brisbane uh, up here in Queensland. They have a library there and that library will have a storeroom and they will have 20 to 50 virtual reality headsets that get loaned out of the library by both patients and practitioners. And within the hospital, there'll be staff, particularly nurses, senior nurses, probably nurse practitioners that will get those headsets out and take them to different departments within the hospital to initiate virtual reality based therapy. So that therapy could be in, say, intensive care where you can do critical care rehabilitation. So if someone comes off an endotracheal tube, so they're on a ventilator, when they get off that ventilator, their lungs are very weak and they have to do some physio to help their respiratory system recover. And you can use VR and, you know, you can play games like a, an archery game. When you pull the arrow back, you have to take a big deep breath in and let the arrow go. So they're gamifying um, rehab and they've got biometric sensors and all this kind of thing. But that will have to be led by a staff member that is very familiar with the disease process, but also the technology. So then that same staff member might, you know, clean up, 
take the headset down for cleaning, go get a new headset and go to the pediatric ward. And they might be inserting a drip or a cannula on the kid. And this particular staff member will be skilled at working around distraction with the headset. And then they'll go and there'll be a bariatric patient who's going for surgery, who's anxious around having an anesthetic. So they'll provide it and, and then they'll go to palliative care and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So absolutely. The FDA has already started approving different therapies and there's a provider in Australia now, which I think originated from Israel. I don't know them very well, but XR Health, they're sort of coming in with a bit of money and making a bit of an impact in terms of physiotherapy and rehab. I can't remember the guy's name, the CEO, but they're doing some good things and it sounds like they've got some interesting applications. They've got appropriate approvals for therapy. They've got biometric monitoring. And these are all going to be key features going forward into the future for therapeutic applications. My company is actually partnered with a company from Holland called Playground VR. Now, we don't work in the world of therapy because of TGA approval and all that kind of stuff, but distraction therapy for pediatrics, essentially providing them with distraction. They put the headset on and they go into like a playground and the kids can throw balls. And then if you have one kid in, say, Mount Isa or up on Cape York, they could log in and play with this other kid in Brisbane. Oh, cool. So it's like a, a social application as well. So I don't think we really know how much of an impact these technologies will make in a hospital setting but they will. And there will be skilled staff that use them. There'll be skilled departments that take care of them and resource them. So that's a vision. And it probably feel like a hospital like Mount Sinai in New York already has this department. It's definitely on the horizon. Love it. And so you yourself, you mentioned you're a guy that's done this by yourself and built it up. And you know, you've got the young family, the two under two and everything else going on. What would be your advice to other founders that are in a similar situation or are feeling pretty lonely as a, someone who's building their own vision and what they should do to be successful? <laughs> Look, I think I, I, um, when I first started the business, I got accepted into the Australian Health Accelerator up here on the Sunshine Coast and worked with a couple of great companies, Cognium, who I think Rob's yep. been on your podcast yes, yep. previously. Um, and I can't even remember this guy's name, but during the six months, we had presenters come and talk and someone came in and did a talk around mental health and founders and something really sat with me. And it's been very true for me going forward is that once you have this idea, but obviously the whole concept of growing a business is to then take an idea and make that into a commercial business. Now, what that means is that you're, you're going to have to push it. You're going to have to do things. And what happens is you walk down this path. And when you're going down that path, you walk faster and harder than anybody else, because that's exactly what you have to do to make that idea realize. But you just have to look left and look right and see who's next to you. And when you turn around, see how far behind you the people are. Because if you're up late, if you're drinking, you know, and you know, for me, this happened to me, I was drinking whiskey on Tuesday nights, getting to bed at one, up at five, making calls, international, my wife wants to kill me, you know, and it can break you. It can really, really break you. And I know people that have gone through relationship bust ups. So I, I think my advice would be just to keep checking in with yourself. I meditate daily and have done for a long time, but even just securing 10 or 15 minutes of the day that's for you, absolutely protected, that is just you. And then when you're in that 10 minutes, have a look at your relationships and just reflect on, am I happy with the amount of time that I've given my wife today? Is that fair? Am I helping with the kids? And is the house, I know because my lawn at my house, if I'm working hard, my lawn's about one foot tall. I drive the street <laughs> and I think people must think I've been admitted into a mental health ward because the house just looks atrocious. So it's all those peripheral jobs that just stack up. But my advice 
just check in with yourself and have a look around and see what the world's doing because you sit in that echo chamber and it's deep. It's so deep and uh, you can get lost in it. There's so real challenges that I know that there are so many people that are checking out this show that would feel totally on the same page as what you've talked about there and ironically still probably feel really alone. So that's great feedback to hear. I appreciate the transparency. Looking at the future, you've talked about your vision and the future of healthcare and everything, but more specifically for Bundle of Rays, what are you guys working on over the next six to 12 months that we can look forward to seeing? Well, I keep referring to the next six to 12 months as it's time to rock and roll because... Like I fly out to Roma next week and I'm building Australia's first virtual reality advanced life support laboratory. So Roma Health Service is going to be able to do CPR training remotely. I'll have a headset here. They'll have a headset there. Their staff will go through. They'll have quantifiable metrics. And that kind of certification is mandatory globally. So if I can prove that that is a viable option and that staff enjoy it, it's a return of investment for the organization, we start to open the door to very large market segments that provide value. You know, this isn't just fluffy technology that's interesting. It's particularly for a client like Roma, like they have staff that drive hundreds of kilometers to attend training. They're moving mannequins around different campuses. But if you literally have a 300 gram headset that you're posting that can be there that day or the next day and can undertake quality training and post it back, They're saving tens of thousands of dollars quarterly. It's super exciting. And then outside of that is this seed investments. We're launching programs across India. I've got a neurosurgeon who's coming on as an ambassador who sits on a professional body with 15,000 neurosurgeons. Our offer in Korea is expanding. So we're selling clinical skills programs in Korea. So over there, students find it difficult to properly train on patients in hospitals because of COVID restrictions. So what we're doing is building clinical skills trainings, you know, like how to put in a drip and how to assess a patient, all that kind of stuff in VR. So when they actually do go out there, they've had a lot of exposure to the skill so they can practice, 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 and then get the skill done in real time. All very exciting things. And the predominant business model there is aimed at the APAC region which I never really strategically thought about. But, you know, there's a billion people in India. There's a lot in Korea, Japan. So I'm not discounting that. So that's going to be our business going into next year. We're building a platform. So essentially, we're going to have this learning management system that will have integrated virtual reality applications. We'll have quantifiable learning metrics. And then by Q3 next year, we'll start touching base with the US. Our business model will be super slick by then just to see what everyone's doing over the pond. And hopefully we're going to have a significant raise from investment probably in the second quarter next year to prepare us for that sort of US, Europe scale into 2022. So it is really rock and roll time for me as a startup because, you know, I've two years figuring it all out, getting the foundations, and now it's time to flick it to level 11 and see what happens. This is crunchier for you, man. That's awesome. That's so cool. For those that want to check out some of these courses, obviously for clinical people, for nurses, or for anyone that would benefit from the training, that would be really helpful. But can anyone else check out it as well if they're just interested in what it looked like? Yeah, if they just contact us through our website, so www.bundleofrays.com or either on LinkedIn or Facebook, uh, they contact me. I can run them through different things and let them know what offers we have. It's really important to stress from my point of view is that we offer education. So we do do face-to-face courses and we have an e-learning platform. But we also do this end-to-end solution. So like we're setting TAFE up with virtual reality. So we not only deliver education, but we also enable 
training providers. So there's two facets. So if anyone listening works for a training organization, you know, we can help them educate and understand VR alongside also delivering curriculum, which is the exciting part. Because I suppose we sort of see it as championing and educating the educators because that's sort of what the industry needs at the moment is that fundamental, you know, what's the use case? How does it work, et cetera. So important. That's awesome, Brad. Look, I'll put all the details of Bundle of Rays and how people can get in touch with you in the show notes from this episode. And for anyone that's connected with educators or also when you're looking for investment next year, I'm sure there'll be plenty of people that'll be interested to get in touch. So Brad, I really appreciate your time. Good luck with everything leading into the new year and catch up with you later on. Yeah, same, Pete. Thanks for having me. I hope everybody enjoyed the chat and you have yourself a little Merry Christmas. <laughs> Cheers, bud. You too. All right, mate. Bye. Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch. Make sure you go check out our website for all our resources, including this podcast and the largest directory of technology solutions available to Australian healthcare practitioners today. Until next time, I'm out of here.